This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. This begins the horrors, the curses that we speak about in Parshki Selvo. See, there's two parts. There's the Tochacha or the Tochacha that appears in Shishi, that huge long parak that is 69 psukim in it and talks about all the terrible things that's going to happen to Klai Yisrael. But there's also the story of Har Grizim and Har Evil, which did not happen and in this week's Parsha, it's Moshe Rabbeinu speaking about what's going to be in the future. He's saying that in the future, you're going to reach these mountains. One is Har Grizim, and it's going to be filled with flowers and trees and everything. And another one is going to be Har Evil. You're going to have six Shvatim on one side. On Har Grizim, there's going to be Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Yosef, and, and, and Binyamin. And Har Evil, it's going to be Ruvain, Zvulin, Don Naftali, Gud, and Asher. And then the elderly Levim are going to stand in the middle. They're going to be in the valley. And they're going to give brachos to Har Grizim, the same bracha that we have over here. And then the Arurs, the curses over to Har Evil. And all the people are going to answer Amen. They're going to answer Amen to everything. And that's Ela Yamdu Levarachas Amal Har Grizim. These are the people that stood in Har Grizim. And the others were on Har Evil. So here's the first curse, the first of the 11 slash 12 curses. And the reason why I say 11 slash 12 is because it's a machlokas. Rashi says there are 11 curses. If you count them yourself, it's really not that hard to count up to 11. It's really 12. There's a question which one Rashi is not dealing with. That's not for this year. But it says, Arur Ha'ish, it's in Chav Zayin Tesvoth. Arur ha'ish asher yasa fesel masecha. Cursed is the man that makes an idol or a molten image. Toavas Hashem, an abomination of God. Masiyadei harosh, the dealing, something that was made by a carpenter. Vesom basoser. And he puts it in a private place, in a place that's in hiding. And all the people answered and they said, Amen. So there was a bracha, Baruch Asher Lo Yasef Masecha, blessed is the person who does not make any idols. And then there's the Aurur, Aurur Asher Yasef Fesel Masecha, the people that were out there. Okay, now this is all based on the Gemara and Sota. It's on Lama Bezim and Aleph and Lama Bezim and Bez. Ibn Ezra says that the brachos are really referring to something else and the claws are referring to something else. But regardless, Rav Vigdor Miller says when people would see terrible things happening for no apparent reason and they couldn't figure out where it was coming from, these bad things were happening one after the other, it would be the result of this curse that they cursed the people for anything they did in private. Because Moshe Rabbeinu got up and said this, anything you do in private will be taken back, will take you down. It will be your downfall. Because of that, they blamed it on this. And when something great happened to them, they attributed it to the bracha of Moshe Rabbeinu. Baruch asher lo yase fesol masecha. If they did absolutely nothing for no apparent reason. And that's the idea behind it. Each one of them understood, each person understood that it was something was as a result of these brachos and curses right over here. So here's the interesting part. The psukim only mention the klolos, but not the brachos. There are no brachos mentioned in this parsha. There is no baruch asher lo yasef asol masecha. Baruch asher yakim as divrei Torah zos. Why is that not here? Why don't we give any of the brachos? And instead we go straight to the curse. Only the curses themselves. So there are a bunch of answers to this question. I'm going to do a bunch of them right now. Because Nain Latora says it makes no sense to give brachos here. Because that makes it sound like the only brachas, the only things you have to work on are these 11 slash 12 things. 
These things you should work on. Try not to be together with your sister. Try not to be together with your mother-in-law. Those are the curses over here. To say that those are the brachos, which are things that should be obvious to most people, that's something that would seem silly. It seems weird. Why would those be the actual brachos? So, and people would even say to themselves, Shalom al-Nafshi, I don't have to worry about anything. I'm not going to make any idols. I'm not worried about doing those types of arayas. I don't have to worry about anything. And he'll live his life without learning, without doing anything else, thinking that these 11 slash 12 things are the only important things. So that's why we don't mention it as brachos, we just mention it as curses, curses. As if to say, if you do this, not only are you over on an Avera, but you get a curse as well. Like, how dare you? How could you have possibly done this? How could you have allowed yourself to do this? That's the Osnayim Latorah. Now, Hassam Sofer, he says a different type of an answer. He says it in his drushos. He says, everything that is written and said out loud will eventually be misbatal. This is an unbelievable idea. Meaning if you hear something and it's written down somewhere and it's said out loud, that makes it into something physical, that puts it in the physical world. In the future world of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, physicality will be gone. Gashmius will be gone. There won't be any of that anymore. All that will remain will be Ruchnius. So anything that was made physical is going to have some type of, I don't know what, what you want to call it over here, a bittle, as if it's gone, as if nothing's going to be around over here. If the brachos were put in the Torah, that would make them gashmi. It would make them gashmi, and therefore they can be lost and gone forever. For that reason, says the Chassam Sofer, we only mention the curses. He said the curses should be gone forever. But a bracha that's written down will never last, he says. Isn't that an unbelievable thing? He goes on and he says, that's the reason why it doesn't mention any of our reward in Olam Haba in the Torah. There's no such thing as reward in Olam Haba. It's, If you listen to my mitzvahs, you'll get the rain. You'll get rain, you'll get things in this world. But there's nothing about the next world. Because anything that's made into something physical, even by a pasuk, even by saying it out loud, allows it to become misbattle in some way. That's what it means that Moshe Rabbeinu was given the words of the Torah and wrote them down. Meaning, there were so many ideas that Moshe Rabbeinu was given. As we know, we call them halachala Moshe Misinais, the Torah Shabal Peh. There are certain things that we don't talk about, that we don't write down. That idea of the Torah Shabal Peh. The longer we keep it hidden, the more we do it, Baal Peh, and we don't put it into Gashmis, so we don't put it into physicality, says Sachsam Sofer the less nullified it becomes, the less out of this world it becomes. So he says, for that reason, we didn't write down the brachos, we only wrote down the klalos. Yeah, Shlomo. I don't know. His wording was the fact that it was put down in the Torah. So I assume that means said in some physical way. I realize that Har Grizim and Har Evil, they said it out loud. But I guess that's less gashmi than writing it down, maybe. I don't know. I also, obviously, my obvious question on the Sam Sofer, but I, I, I couldn't find it within, you know, the confines of the Drashos. I, I, what do you do with the Torah? The Torah is not going to be misbattle. I mean, I was thinking like maybe it'll, according to Sam Sofer, it's going to revert back to the Shemos of Hashem, the names of HaKadosh Baruch which the Torah originally was. But I really have no idea. I don't know what that means, that anything that's written down will eventually be gone. It's a strange line, right? Yeah, Ruben. I guess if all 
physicality is gone, right, I, I don't know. I really don't know. And the funny thing is, most malachim, there is no appearance of malachim throughout the entire Torah. The, the idea of malachim are there. But, like, we don't have those actual names. They are written by Rashi, right? But, like, we don't have the actual names. That might be a little bit different. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Right. No, there's concepts. There's conceptual. I just, I've never seen anybody, like, take it that seriously that we can't write down brachos because they'll be gone. I, that, that's so strange, but that's what Chassam Sofer says, right? As a side note, right, he wonders how this first Pasuk could have been made into a bracha. Think of what the bracha is, okay? Let's read it as a bracha. Baruch ish, blessed is the man, asher lo Hashem, who did not make an idol. Now, all that's good, right? That's a bracha. Bracha that you didn't make an idol. But then it says, and he puts it in private. Is that part of the bracha? Blessed is the person who did not make an idol and put it in a private area. So you're not cursed. I mean, I get you're not blessed if you make an idol and you, I, I just say it the other way. You're only blessed if you didn't put it in a private area, but if you just made it, then it seems like you still get something. There's something weird about this line. So he says the following. He says, this whole idea is a reference to the Shivteka. When the Shivteka, the Shvatim, defeated the city of Shechem, they took all of the idols that were there. Their plan was to burn it down and to turn it into gold and silver. And they, were, they figured it was Batal already, or they themselves had the status of B'nai Noach. They could be Mavatal then, right? And that would be fine. But Yaakov you know, told them to bury them. By Yitman Osam Yaakov. Yaakov buried them. Tachza Elo and Paraklamet Hei Pasagalov. And that's why the Sumba Seser could be in a good way. So blessed is a man who doesn't make idols... And even if he does have an idol, he hides it afterward. That's the idea behind it. And that's a reference to what the Shvatim did, and maybe that's the idea behind it. Okay, so that's the second one. The third answer we have as to why it's only klalos and not brachos is the chidah. The bracha is only seemingly for a thought or a lack thereof, a lack of thinking about a Zara, while the curse is for something that he did. He worshipped a Zara. Blessed is the man who did not make an idol means he didn't do anything. He just didn't do anything. And that's it. That, that's the idea behind it. Tom Vidas says you should know that even if you don't make it, if you just think about a Bodhisattva, that could be considered an Avera in and of itself. So that doesn't necessarily require a blessing. You don't get a bracha for thinking about a Bodhisattva but not making it. So if the bracha would have been, blessed is the person who doesn't make a Bodhisattva but you still thought about a Bodhisattva. You should be punished for that, not blessed for that. That's a strange thing in and of itself. There's a Rav Shimshim over here as well, but it's a strange thing. Now, the Shach. The Shach says that the brachos, had the brachos been mentioned, had they been put in the Torah, not just the curses, you would have thought, that's it. This is your reward. You get a bracha and that's it. But it's not true. It's not true. For sure, you get the reward the Torah wants for not doing a Vodazara. Plus, you get an extra bracha. The reason why we're stressing the error is that if you do the Avera of Avodah you get the Avera plus you get cursed. Plus you get cursed. That's the idea behind it. So the Shach says, we didn't want to add on and say the bracha because that would make it sound like that's all you're getting in that sad. The Red Vaz says the same thing in one of his Shubas, Sim and Pei Vav. The Maral Diskin says the Iker Chiddush is the people answered Amen. The people answered Amen to the curses. Obviously, you're going to say Amen to a bracha like that, bracha to somebody who doesn't do a Vodazara. But to answer Amen to a curse, that seems strange. This Sforno says the main point of this entire parak, 
was to curse those who were doing things in private. And we'll talk about this in a second. So that the rest of the people would not be held responsible for them. There's a concept of Arbus, Koyisual Raven Zeloza, which means when they went to Eretz Yisrael, every Jew was responsible for the others. Anybody know offhand? The first case where we had B'nai Yisrael were responsible for one another, so one guy did something wrong and another guy was killed for it. Anybody know where that is? It's in Yoshua. Yeah. Achan, when Achan took the spoils of Yericho, and Yair ben Menashe was killed, the like 36 men was killed. That's the concept of the Arvus. Arvus, Kol Yisrael, Raven Zelazed, they were all responsible for one another, and we have to help out each other and do everything for them. That, that doesn't apply by anything that's private. Right, we're going to say in next week's parsha, Hanistaros la Shemelokenu. The Nisro, the things that are hidden, that's for God to deal with. We can't tell. There's no way I can be held responsible. But if it's Nigla, then it's for us and for our children forever. Which means, by the way, that other people knew what Achan did. That when Achan took the stuff out of Yericho, other people must have seen it. I always thought that Achan like hid it under his jacket, you know, and like brought it back and then hid it under his tent so that nobody would know. Maybe his kids knew. But it must be that other people did know and didn't say anything. And Ko Yisrael Raven Zelazem means if it was public enough that people saw it, they had to say something or else something would happen. So it's not just Achan who's responsible here. It's really all of the Jews who saw it who were all responsible for something like that happening. Says the Sforno, that's the idea behind it. These arurim were usually done by the leaders of the people. It was impossible for others to make a machah to protest against them, right? Because how could they possibly, the normal people, how could they get up against the leaders and say that? But that's the idea behind it. That's why these arurim are mentioned and nothing else because it had to do with what people did in private as opposed to public, and therefore the brachos would make, make less sense to be able to say. Those nine Latar talks about it as well. They were about to enter Israel, they had the concept of Arvos, they were about to do that. That only applied to the Gluyos, but not many Staros. And that's what he says over there. Okay, so now why these 11 out of these 12 over that These 11 or 12 over here, what were they? So if, a per, if you look at these, these curses, you, you're going to see a common theme over here. Okay, the common theme is, we're going to look at it right here. It's in Parak Chav, Zion, Pasuk. Here we go. The first one is making idols. The second one is cursing out your parents. The third one is masigvul. That means like moving over the border of your friend. So pretending like you, his land is really your land. Number four is making a blind man get messed up. Number five, turning over the judgment of a poor man, a poor woman. Number six being together with the wife of your father, with your stepmother. Number seven, with an animal. Number eight, a sister. Number nine, a mother-in-law. Number 10, hitting your friend in private, specifically in private. Number 11, taking bribes. Number 12, not upholding the Torah. All 12 of those, says the Ibn Ezra, have to do with things that are done in private. They're not done publicly. And that's why it says visamba saser twice. Twice it says private things that are being done over here. If they're done publicly, then people would be killed for doing so. People would be killed for doing these things, right? Some of these are bin al Some of them bin al lamakom, like a vodazar is bin al lamakom. But being together with somebody who's already married, so being together with somebody who's etc. That's obviously bin al lachavero. The dasakanim, the rabbeinu bachaya, the bechorshor, the pnei Raza, the chizkuni all say the same. It's all about private sins. And now the Rashbam explains this a little bit, and he says. 
the only two curses here that are said specifically that they're do- that 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 have this some basal were done in private are the two things that were also done publicly. Avodah would be done publicly. People weren't embarrassed of that. And hitting your friend could be done publicly and people aren't embarrassed of that. Everything else is assumed to be in private because nobody would do it publicly. There's no way a person would curse their parents publicly. It doesn't look good. Nobody thinks that that's a normal thing to do, cursing out one's parents. Being masikvul, everybody knows that's wrong. It's your friend's property and you're moving the board. You would never do that publicly and shamelessly in front of other people. You just wouldn't do it. Messing up a blind man, someone's judgment, taking bribes, not upholding the Torah's laws publicly, there's no way. Aside from the Arias over here, the ones that we talk about, Aishas Aviv, a stepmother, a sister, an animal, or one's mother-in-law, are certainly in private because they're the people that you're also the closest to. Aside from, obviously, your mother or your daughter, which Rechaim Knievsky says, the mother and daughter I mentioned here because there's no taiva for such things. The other ones, there might be a taiva for, there might be a desire for even one's sister, but there's no desire for one's daughter or one's mother, and that's why they're allowed for yichud, while the other ones are questionable. Even a sister, which is strange, but even a sister is questionable for yichud. But these, you can see, these are done without anyone suspecting a thing. It's not a big deal for someone to go to their mother-in-law's house. Right? So you could do something without anyone knowing. It's not a big deal to go to the barn where the animals are. And you could do something without anyone suspecting a thing. So too with a stepmother. So too with a sister. These are beyond reproach because nobody thinks there's anything wrong with that. They just go into their house or whatever it is, or their parents' house or their in-law's house. What's the big deal? That's how the Rashbam explains all these. They're all things that could have been done without anyone knowing about them. Yeah. What's up, yeah? So it's a question of what it means by not upholding the Torah. Not upholding the Torah does not mean obviously just doing any Avera. It's got to be something which you're showing I could care less about the Torah. And in a community, a Jewish community, that's super hard for a person to do publicly because he'd be ostracized. People would throw him out. Avodah Zarah is also, no, for sure, but people would do Avodah Zarah without even recognizing it, trying to get other people to do it. Like we had the Nevi'eh Sheker and Parshas Shotim or Parshas that Like that sort of thing. You're right, for sure, more likely to do it in private than in public. But there were times in Claudius where Avodah Zarah was done publicly and hitting people obviously could very well be public. You know, that's the, those two, you're right, they could... It's more likely to be done privately because I don't want to punch people in front of other people, but it still could be. I, I think that's the idea behind it. Rav Hirsch says such a great line. It's such a classic Rav Hirsch way. He says, all brachos are denied to those who outwardly play the part of a pious person. He goes around and he says, I'm a chassid. I'm a tzaddik. I do everything right. While on the inside, he secretly denies the existence and hashgacha of God over everything, right? And that's the first curse, or the last curse. He's outwardly, disres- he's outwardly respectful to his parents, right? When everybody asks him, he's like, oh, my mom and dad, such hush of people. And on the inside, when he's at home, he curses them out right in front of their faces, considering himself superior to them, and etc. That's how he goes through it. What kind of a person outwardly shows himself as this tzaddik, as this person who's out there, but inwardly, that's the person who's cursed. What a beautiful reverse. Meaning the concept is, yeah, all these things are done in private, but it's more than just private, says reverse. It's things that you're very willing to fake on the outside. Can you imagine a guy who has to show him is involved in a relationship 
with his mother-in-law, his sister, an animal, or um, what was the other one that we had over here? Or an, uh, a stepmother, or a stepmother. And outwardly, he's pretending like everything's okay. Well, he's doing terrible things behind the scenes. It's just a terrible thing to think about. That's the concept of reverse. What kind of a person would possibly do such a thing? Only a person who's cursed. Only a person who deserves such an error. That's the idea behind it. Now, Rabbeinu B'chai gives another reason. It's a little bit different why these were chosen. There are sins that cause gullus, he says. He does not explain that. He doesn't explain why these 11 slash 12 cause gullus more than anything else, cause exile more than anything else. But since they were about to er- enter Eretz Yisrael, they're about to go into Eretz Yisrael at the end of the Torah. So they're about to go to Eretz Yisrael, they should know what's going to kick them out. That's the idea behind it. He quotes a medrash, we don't have this medrash, but he quotes a medrash and says, these 11 are connected the 11 mitzvos that David Amelech charged B'nai Yisrael with. If anybody knows the Gemara Makos, at the end of Makos, he says, he whittled down the 613 mitzvos and he said, here's the 11 mitzvos a person should do. It's in Telem Yid Gimel, right? And he said, uh, Tesvav, I'm sorry, right? And that's that. And possibly he meant it for when we're in Golis, concentrate on these. And they're very generic ideas, very generic, like be a good person, that, those types of ideas that are there. It's also one of the talem that we say at a funeral, right? If you don't have much good to say about the person, you can just, this talem is a really good one. Tesvav has all the midos that a person should have. So even if the person didn't keep the Torah to the best of his ability, still, if he was a good person, a yasher person, a righteous person in these types of things, at least he has that. That's the idea what David Amalek was saying. And for example, this aura about Avodah he says, is for the mitzvah of holech tamim which was one of the things David Melchus said, go walk in perfection with God. Look, you don't have a great relationship with God. At least don't do a Vodazara. At least don't get involved in idol worship or anything like that. That's the idea behind it. Okay. Then comes the Das, the Canaan, and the Rush. They wonder why worshiping a Vodazara deserves a curse and not death. Why would you add on a curse for that? Meaning, we already said that doing these things is a curse plus. You're for sure going to be punished for them. And then you also get a curse. I get it. Masig gvul reyehu. If I take the gvul of my friend, I totally get why I'd get a curse for that. Right? There's an avera, but you need to get a curse because people need to know that you can't cheat out on their friends. And that's that. that that's obvious. Right? That, that's an idea. But Avodah Zara is a very clear chiyuv skila. You're going to get skila for doing it. Why would a curse deter a person more? Why would that help? Why would that do it? Now, the obvious answer is because if you do it in private, you don't think anybody's going to find you. The only time you get skila is if you have two witnesses and you have a warning, etc. Here, even if you don't have any witnesses, even if you don't have a warning, nonetheless, there's something there. There's a curse. So therefore, you'll, be, you'll, you'll do it, etc. But this is an interesting one. The Gemara in Sota, Daflamid Vavamabes, says it refers not to a guy who worships a Vodazara, but listen to this. A guy who's together with a woman that he wasn't supposed to be with, and gives birth to a son who went to his mother's side of the family and began worshiping Avodah Zarah. You never worshipped Avodah Zarah. You never did it. You never did it. But you gave birth to a child who did it. That child was the one who was involved with this type of stuff. The parents are cursed for having this child. 
And that's what this refers to. It's all based on Rabbi Yehuda Bar Nachmeni's take on all of these Arurin. He says all these curses are referring to an adulterer who did something evil. He has a child worships of Orizara. That child then curses out his parents. That child tries to take things that are not his. And it goes through all the things that somebody did with Arias involved, all referring to his licentiousness, his evil in the way he's doing over here. And the Torah Tamima talks about this as well. The Rabbeinu Bechaya says the following. He says, it doesn't, the curses don't only apply after they did them. It's when they thought about doing them, just thinking about it. Even though you're, only, you're chai for Avodah Zarah, right, with the Machshava, here there was a curse that came with, there's something there, right, and that's the idea of Yannam Ramosha, totally goes in a completely different direction. Ramosha Feinstein and Koram takes it in a completely different direction. He says the following, he says, why would someone be blessed for not worshipping Avodah Zarah? Right? What exactly is this bracha here? Well, as we said before, like, killer, you get a bracha for not worshiping Avodah Zarah. What's the bracha? Number two, why should you give a bracha to somebody who doesn't worship wood and stone? Of course, he, like, you have to be a fool to do it. So we're blessing somebody who didn't do something stupid? That doesn't make any sense. So he said the following. He said, everyone believes that a Kaddish Baruch helps us with our parnasah. The challenge is to believe that God is in charge of our Parnassah and that it's really all in his hands and that I'm just a pawn in a Kaddish Baruch Hu's hands. To think of oneself as a chess player on a game, meaning you're literally the pawn on the chess, on the chess board, thank you, on the chess board, right, is really difficult that someone's taking you and putting you in place because we think we're doing everything. We think of ourselves as the queen or the king. I can do anything over here. I'm the most powerful. I think I have the ability to do it. But even the queen and the king are being controlled by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And it's difficult for us to understand that or to believe that and to really go through. Hashem sets up times for us to work. And obviously that's during the day itself and wants us to work. But he wants us to eventually get to the point where we're doing less and less so that we're able to build ourselves up to the point where we can add time to other things like the original Hasidim used to do. Our Yitzhahara makes us think that our success only comes from the fact that I work 10 hours a day. If I didn't work 10 hours a day, I wouldn't be able to make this amount. But the truth is, if we use that and miss out on tefillah, because we think to ourselves, if I don't do this deal, I won't be able to make this amount of money. If that's the way we think, then we lose out on the whole point of working in the first place. That point of nasasa v'nasata v'amuna, to have that amuna and a Kaddish Baruch Hu. It leads to, and chas Hashem that has never happened by us, but chilol Shabbos, chilol yomtif, and thinking that you have to do it. Now, look, I don't have this challenge, the challenge of taking vacation days during my Cholamoid, and that's a big challenge, taking vacation days during Cholamoid, because if I work on Cholamoid, I won't be able to vacation at any other point during the year. I, I totally hear it. That, that's a really difficult decision to make, right? To use all my vacation days on Yom Tif and Cholamoid, and then I'm left with nothing. And then what do I do? I work at a yeshiva, that gives me off for Cholomoid. That's a super easy thing to say and a super easy thing to do. I mean, thank God, right? That's an unbelievable thing. I would tell anybody to work in yeshiva. That <laughs> way you get Cholomoid off and it's pretty good. You, you can get that off. But on the other hand, it, it more goes like, don't do it that way. It would more be like the boss saying, I don't have to make these meetings on Cholomoid. I, I don't have to. 
I'm doing it because I think that's the best way for me to make money. A boss that's thinking that way, somebody who's doing it because they think they're in charge and they get to make decisions, that's the wrong thing to do. I'm not telling someone that they have to, I'm being clear about this, I'm not telling you you have to take vacation days off on Cholamoid. That's something that you have to think of for yourself and for the best thing for your family. But I am saying if you have the choice and you can push off the work to later and do other things on Cholamoid that might be less invasive on your Cholamoid, that would be a better thing to do. To use your Cholamoid as the chill-out days of work as opposed to heavy days of work when Yom Tif comes along. That would be the best thing to do, and that's the idea. And that's the person, says Ramosha. The person who doesn't do that is the Feso Masecha. He made himself into his own idol. He hides himself from others so that no one will know the secrets to his success. He'll do things that probably are not the best way. He truly believes, and he does, right? He truly believes that something is from God. But if he really believed that it was all from God, if he really believed that way, then he wouldn't have to do those strategies. He's mamela blessed because everything he has has already been set up for him. That's what we mean. Baruch, blessed is a person who doesn't allow himself to be a Pesel Masecha. He knows he has everything good, and otherwise it seems like it's just a hard life. And that's the, the Malbim talks about that as well. That's the idea behind it. Now, there's a Mesha Chachma, the Rabbini Yohan and Rabbini Ephraim, they talk about an Ish here. I'll just quote the Rabbini Yohan and the Rabbini Ephraim say, Arur Ha'ish, Ashriyasa Pesel Masecha, Ha'ish is the Gematria of Yeshu, referring to Yashka, referring to Yeshu, that guy. Yeshua Yamach Shmo Vizichro, that's Yud Shin Vav, Yeshu is Yamach Shmo Vizichro, who made these idols. Yedei Harosh Vesom is the Rosh David and Sovietism of Yeshu as well. He says that's why it's pronounced as Yeoseh in future tense, because it's something that will happen in the future. So it's a reference to him. That's a crazy thing over there. Now, I want to go to a, a couple other things over here. I think I'll be able to get to it. There are a few other explanations for Masi Yedei Harosh, what it means by carpentry, handiwork made by carpenters. So it says, Rav Schwab, the Nitziv have a pshat. Then there's the Menachem Tzion, who was a Rebbe here in Chicago. He says, it includes, listen to this, Masi Yedei Harosh, the Samba Saser, means someone who sculpts naked people and claims that such things are just Maisecharosh. It's artwork. There's no Yetzirah for such things, and I'm just doing it for artistic reasons. That's the person that the Pasuk is cursing. Do you hear this? The artwork that people claim is just about the art. It's not about the nakedness. There is no Yetzirah, and there's no problem in looking at such things. The Samba Saucer, they hide their true reasons for doing so. They hide the fact that they're filled with Yetzirah. They try to make it seem normal to other people. This is a totally normal thing. That's the Samba Saucer. And then they convince people to pay, pay obscene amounts of money for these sculptures and these paintings, which were usher to make in the first place, blaming it on other things. These terrible minuvalim, he says, who are bringing more and more curses to the world. And then he goes on for an entire paragraph about TV and movies.
And this is in the 1970s, <laughs> let alone 2022, right? He goes on and he says, it's an unbelievable thing. How do we have no decency left? How is it not there? He says, those people who are my de harash, it doesn't have to be sculptures. The fact that we're able to see these things and watch it right there, have we forgotten what has to remain private and what has to be public? Have we forgotten what's allowed to be seen and what's not allowed to be seen? That's the concept that he brings up. And he says, that's included in the aura in this Pasuk. That anyone who's involved in trying to make it more and more commonplace. My dad used to always tell me that, I, I don't remember if it's, I think it's the Dick Van Dyke. Dyke show? Somebody would have to help me with that. Like the old black and white TV show, I think it's the Dick Van Dyke show, was the first time, the first time that they ever showed a woman wearing pants on TV. The first time. In movies or TV. The first time that a woman... Mary Tyler Moore? Moore? Yeah, that was the lady, right? The lady in it. She was the very first person to wear pants in a thing. And even then, they had separate beds. Separate beds. Like they held the Hilchus Nita. Like in, in those... The Brady Bunch, if I remember correctly, was the first TV show to have a single bed for a husband and a wife. A single bed, right? That was the first time that such a thing had been shown. And then obviously it got worse and worse and worse as time went on, where you lost all sense of decency and it's completely gone. That's amazing. And he says that's the concept of what this aura is all about. Somebody who's willing to take it the next level. Go one more level down. Let's see what we can do. That's what we're cursing over here. In a different vein, but the basic same idea that Evan Azel says, the worst people are those that have ideologies that are against Hashem in the Torah, but they hide it. They don't want to tell you what they really hold. They don't want anyone to know what they're really thinking. So they hide their ideologies behind these ideas that they think are good for the world. And they'll teach people all these types of things that they think is going to be great for everybody to be able to have. But what they're trying to, they're saying, what they're trying to do is not so bad. It's not so dangerous and things like that. That's Vesambasasar. If they hide it under the pretense of doing something else entirely, using big words and grand ideas to be able to fool people and make make them think that they're legitimate, that guy gets to be cursed. That guy has to be cursed. And that's, again, the idea of Vesom Basaser. Rabbeinu Bechaya points out that in this Pasuk it says, V'amar kola am, v'anu amen. And in every other Pasuk it says, V'anu kola am amen, that they all answer amen. Because they were already told, obviously, by HaKadosh Baruch Hu and HaSinai not to do that's the first two of the Aserah Sedibros. That's obvious. So that's why the people responded to it, knowing that this is something they already had to do. Rechaim Paltiel says this is only one. This is the only one about Yichud Hashem, about the uniqueness and the oneness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Therefore, it required them to speak it out and to say it out in a loud voice. That's Va'anu, that they called out loud. They said out loud, Amen. They had to do such a thing. Apparently, this is why we raise our voice during Aleinu. During the Yamano Rhyme, we don't have this minag where people say Alenu out loud, louder during the Aseris and Chuva than in any other day. I don't know of any community that does it. So Rechaim Paltiel said that was the minig of the Ashkenazim in France, Germany, back in the day. But I've never heard of that before. I've never heard people yell out loud, Alenu Lishabach. But he says that's the reason why. Because it's all about the Yichud of HaKadosh Baruch right over there, and that's that. And Rav Schwab will end with this. By every other curse, it says, V'yamar Kola'am. The Amar Kolam in singular. But over here, right, it says, the, the wording over here is, the Anu Kolam, the Amru Amain in plural. He says it's possible that this is the only one that they weren't sure about. 
when they crossed the Jordan River, they already had Pesel Micha with them. They had the idol of Micha together with them. Some of them might have been thinking that they wanted to make these types of idols a little bit later on. So that's why everything else, they all said as one, 100%. Being together with one's mother-in-law is disgusting. Taking Mastik Vorehu is disgusting. Cursing out your parents is disgusting. They all got up and they were like, yeah, 100%. This one, there might have been other people. It wasn't all as one. The Amru Kalam, and everybody said Amen. Just some people were really like, of course. And some people were like, I guess, if I have to. That's what makes this a little bit different. Such a harsh one over here. We'll stop with that, guys. Have a great Shabbos.